So if you have a Bible with you this morning, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to read the 41st verse through the 51st. And honestly, I'm going to preach the entire chapter, but for the scripture reading portion, we're going to focus on the 41st verse through the 51st. And the sermon is entitled, Conquering Goliath. We all have Goliaths in our lives. So this, I believe, is a word that the Lord wants you to hear this morning. Picking up now on the 41st verse. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the, David, and, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me. And I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David quickly ran toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. On July 4th, 1776, the 13 original colonies, through the Continental Congress, adopted and issued the Declaration of Independence. Through it, the American colonies severed their political connections to Great Britain. And as bold and remarkable as that document was, it wouldn't be until 1783 that the Treaty of Paris would be officially signed and Great Britain would formally recognize the sovereignty of the United States, thus ending eight years of agonizing war. I bring up the American Revolution this morning because the story of our nation is really a David and Goliath story. We had no business winning the war. In fact, prior to 1775, 
America had no intention of being a sovereign nation. Once war broke out, the American colonies were made up of mostly untrained militia, while Great Britain had at that time the world's finest military. Prior to the war, George Washington himself had dreams of becoming a British army officer. He dreamt of one day putting on a red coat and brass buttons. And once war began, he began to lead American forces, but found that many of his own people were, quote, an exceeding dirty and nasty people, end quote. How the Americans were able to win the Revolutionary War is still a matter of great mystery to many modern-day historians. It is truly a classical story of David versus Goliath. And this morning's text contains one of the most famous stories in the entire Bible. In fact, you don't even have to be a Christian to know the story of David and Goliath. It is ubiquitously used as um, a term when people face monumental tasks face against them. And while I believe that all of you are familiar with the story, I nevertheless felt that it was worthwhile to preach a message on this story because it contains so many pivotal lessons for all of us who are striving to enter by the narrow gate. In the New Testament, Jesus is frequently addressed as the son of David. And I believe that it's important for us, and as I preach a a couple of series of sermons the next couple of weeks, I want to focus on different significant figures in the Bible. And today I want to focus on David, because our Savior was addressed time and time again as the son of David. Who was this man? Our Savior in writing history specifically chose to come from the family line of David, the son of Jesse. And until this day, Jews all over the world revere David as one of, if not their greatest king. And much like our nation, although David would one day become the greatest military leader in Israel's history, he started off as a hillbilly shepherd boy, untrained in modern warfare. And what David's story shows us is that God is able to work mysteriously and magnificently on behalf of those who humbly seek to serve God's people. This text this morning is a full 58 verses long. And so the way I'm going to preach the text this morning is to extricate or to pull out the main verses directly connected to to the life principles that I want to convey. And to start off, I want to give you some context. After being led directly by God for many years, Israel suddenly decides to be like the other nations. And they ask their prophet Samuel for a king to rule over them. Samuel doesn't like the idea because the request is really a rejection of God's divine rule. Nevertheless, God grants the people their request and they receive their first king in the man Saul. Now Saul starts off his rule well. He starts off his career well. He's tall. He's competent. He's handsome. And there is a certain amount of respect for God in his heart. And things go well. 
he wins his first major military campaign against the Amalekites. He is a hero. But all of a sudden, Saul turns on his faith, begins to believe his own press clippings, and commits apostasy. He begins to live a life pursuing his own name, fame, and glory. And as a result, God rejects him as king. And as we all know from, the li- from, from our own personal life experiences, turning away from God makes life very difficult for us. In, in a twist of irony, we, we seek promotion in our own glory, but it is humbly seeking God that lifts us up. Life actually becomes difficult when we center our lives around ourselves. Saul begins to have relational issues, professional leadership issues. And in the chapter here before us, if we go one chapter back, we read that he starts even having psychological issues. As God sends an evil spirit to torment him, he is gripped by fear, jealousy, and paranoia. And as chapter 16 closes with this dark depiction of Saul's internal woes and mental decline, we are then introduced to David, God's newly anointed future king in chapter 17. And this is where we pick up today. The difference is night and day, and intentionally so. Whereas Saul lived for himself, David lived and put his life on the line for the people of God. Whereas Saul hid out of fear from Goliath, David courageously ran to fight the giant. Whereas Saul turned from worshiping God with a pure heart, David dedicated his life to God and became the man Scripture refers to as the man after God's own heart. A remarkable title. For further context here, in the ancient Near East, a champion was the man who stepped out to fight between the two battle lines. In that setup, the victor side would partake in their champion's victory. And here in 1 Samuel 17, we see that Goliath has offered himself to fight on behalf of his people. He was their representative. It was therefore Saul's responsibility to fight on behalf of Israel. But as the chapter shows, the Israelite king is gripped by fear, and that sort of trepidation, if any of you have led in any capacity, that sort of trepidation is contagious. Verse 11 plainly states that Saul and all Israel are dismayed and greatly afraid. Bad leadership trickles down. And not just afraid, but greatly afraid. And here we now derive life principle number one. Without faith in God, fear and anxiety will grip your heart. And it will only be a matter of time before it becomes manifest to everyone you lead. Think about it. David and Saul face the exact same enemy, did they not? Yet David, though smaller and inexperienced, became a conqueror, while Saul, on the other hand, chose to remain a victim. What was the critical difference? The answer is faith. Some of you are living with anxiety and fear, even as we now speak. 
You might be physically in shape and strong on the outside, but internally you have no peace. Maybe it's your workplace, your marriage, perhaps a secret sin that no one knows about, or your financial situation. Whatever the giant is in your life, it is whispering fear, and you are filled with anxiety because there is no faith in your heart. Your Goliath is crying out a verse 44 war cry. He is saying, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. What will your response be? Will you succumb to fear? Or will you get down on your knees and gain divine help? Will you cower like Saul? Or will you be like David in verses 46 and 47? And say, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down, cut off your head, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. What a response. The man literally runs to the battle. Listen, friend, God wants you to be filled with hope and peace. It is not God's desire that you live with anxiety. Philippians 4, 6-7, through 7, a, 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 two verses we're all familiar with. And if you're not, you should be familiar with this verse because this is God's desire for you. Be anxious for nothing, the Bible says, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That sort of peace is available to you through Jesus Christ. Your life was not meant to be one filled with anxiety. You were not supposed to go through this life fighting it on your own. Gain peace from God. Life principle number two from the story of David and Goliath. Steer clear of negative people. Jesse had eight sons. David was the youngest. The three oldest boys were already in the army and had followed Saul into battle. Go home and read the rest of chapter 17 when you can. Yet fear also gripped their hearts as well. While he was delivering food to his brothers, David happens to hear Goliath's taunting war cry. David instantly understands that In mocking the people of God, Goliath was actually mocking God himself, and so he seeks to defend God's honor and God's people. However, as soon as his intentions are known, Eliab, David's oldest oldest brother, discourages David with some pretty harsh words, found in verse 28. Read the response from David. David answers him, but upon answering him, he doesn't stay around negativity. Instead, look at verse 30. What does it say? It literally says David turns away. He turns away from Eliab. And he speaks to others. Listen, friends, both fear and discouragement are contagious. If you're an optimistic person of faith, steer clear of those individuals who are always complaining, negative, and sucking the faith right out of your life. 
Those are people who are going to nowhere anytime soon. They're not going to do much for the kingdom of God. And they are trying to sink you as well. They are trying to ensure that you don't do great things for the Lord. If God has put a vision and a passion in your heart, pursue it. Don't let anyone hold you down. No matter how many blessings God places in those types of people's lives, they will always find something to complain about. And just bring your spirits down. And if you stick around that long enough, it'll start to wear on you too. And guess what? You'll bring it home to your wife. You bring it home to your kids. And pretty soon, everyone is miserable. Stay clear of negative people. They will literally shorten your lifespan. And if you're one of those types of people yourself, then change. It doesn't honor Christ when a Christian is filled with pessimism. No one is edified by expletive-filled Facebook rants. And just as one tech sergeant and Nellis found out last week, such public rants could get you actually into serious hot water. The bottom line here is to be an encourager, not a discourager. What are some practical ways about this? Find a small group. Get with other men and women on base, Christian men and women who will help you stay positive and focused on the Word of God, who will encourage you and edify you. Deliberately and intentionally seek out edifying voices. And if you know you're pessimistic, ask the Lord to change your heart, to give you an edifying perspective of life. Life is too short, friend, for you to be living that way. Let's move on to life principle number three from the story of David and Goliath. Know your Goliath well. Know your Goliath well. David knew his enemy well. See, Goliath's battle gear was the best that the highly skilled Philistines could muster, either by manufacture or by trade. The shield, uh, the Hebrew here is Sinai, was a large standing shield that covered the entire body. Because this period was just around the start of the Iron Age, most of his armament, as you see, was made of bronze, except the, the spear's head, which was made of iron. The Bible says the tip of his spear weighed 600 shekels, and that would be about 15 pounds. His coat of mail itself was 125 pounds. And on top of that, the man was 9 feet 9 inches tall. He he would make Shaquille O'Neal look small. And while the average Israelite would have fought Goliath with similar weapons, David counterintuitively fights with five stones and a sling. Now, the staff is not David's true weapon here. It's included, and that's what Goliath focuses on And when he makes fun of him. He says, what am I, a dog that you come to me with sticks? But, but the staff is not his true weapon. The sling was his true weapon. Now, before you just start thinking, oh, sling, stones, this was just luck, you have to understand history here. The sling was known as a weapon from Egypt going all the way back to the beginning of the second millennium. In fact, if you read the book of Judges, when civil war breaks out, the Benjamites are known to be uh, users of the sling, expert users of the sling, where they would sling these stones and they would not miss by a hairbreadth. 
These were the original snipers of, of ancient warfare. And slingers were sharp shooters, and, and they were pivotal for ancient warfare. And so I don't want you to get fooled into thinking that David was just going out to throw sticks and stones at Goliath here. He had a plan. And although God guided that stone into Goliath's forehead, David responsibly knew his enemy and used weapons that he knew would give him an advantage. Anytime you want to fight Goliath on Goliath's terms, you will lose. You need to fight smarter. So although in verse 39, Saul gives David his best warfare, David chooses not to fight conventional warfare and goes instead with his own specialty. Knowing your enemy in your situation is so critical in fighting an effective war, is it not? Going back to George Washington, he did the same thing in the American Revolution. Yes, it was God's hand that ultimately enabled us to win the war. But when Washington abandoned the guerrilla tactics that served the colonists so well in the conflict's early stages, he promptly suffered a series of military defeats. William Polk in uh, Violent Politics writes, quote, As quickly as he could, Washington devoted his energies to creating a British-type army, the Continental Line. As a result, he was defeated time after time and almost lost the war, end quote. When fighting Goliath, you don't fight on Goliath's terms. You have to know your enemy. David fought like David when fighting Goliath. But what about you? How well do you know your adverse situation? Sometimes the marriage is not working because you're trying to resolve it the wrong way. You're not aware of your Goliath well. Other times, you're blaming the devil for your problems at work when all the situation really needs is a personal attitude adjustment and a stronger work ethic. Maybe you're fighting your unbelieving husband. When in reality, it is a spiritual battle that requires you to pray for your husband as well. Instead of fighting insult for insult, come in with different warfare. Maybe you ought to be on your knees praying for him. Whatever the adverse situation is in your life, it is critical for us to know our Goliaths, make proper assessments, and fight accordingly. Last and finally, principle number four from the story of David and Goliath. God never wastes a hardship. You know, bears and lions were quite common in ancient Palestine. And before David became king, he, he, before he became a warrior, and before he became the killer of Goliath, David was simply a shepherd boy. And as a shepherd, God allowed him to endure the hardships of fighting a bear and a lion. In order to protect the flock, verse 35 informs us that David had to kill each beast. As terrible as those experiences must have been, verse 36 tells us that David was prepared for Goliath because God had first sent him a bear and a lion. The same is true for all of us here this morning. 
If you're a follower of Christ this morning, I want you to know for certain that God never wastes a hardship. You might not thank God in the midst of fighting a bear or fighting a lion, but I want you to understand this morning that God is working in your life right now, working for good. Write that on your refrigerator somewhere. God never wastes a hardship. He never does. Perhaps you went through a difficult childhood. Perhaps you went through a season of difficulty in your marriage. Maybe you lost a child to miscarriage. Perhaps you've battled cancer. Maybe you're going through a difficult work situation right now. And you came to chapel for some consolation. Whatever your bear or lion is, I want you to take heart this morning and know that God is in the process of strengthening you through your difficulties, through your hardships. None of these things took God by surprise. In fact, God ordains all things to occur. He promises that He will be with you. And although you may not know why, God is working for your good. David wouldn't have had the confidence to face Goliath if he hadn't faced a lion in his past. I know for certain that I wouldn't be the man I am today if I didn't go through the hardships of my past. Sometimes I reflect upon that and I realize God was shaping me as difficult as those situations were in the past. And that's why Scripture tells us to thank God in any circumstance. Because as difficult as your current trial may be, you know that God is in control and He is in the process of working all things for your good. Amen? God, after all, is in the business of redemption. Now, of what I preached this morning, all of it is true. However, if you don't know Jesus yet, it doesn't apply. This morning, if you still don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I want you to listen to the gospel. And I urge you, I plead with you, to subsequently make a decision for Jesus. Here's the gospel. That there is a holy God who loves you, but He must send all sinners to hell because He is God of justice and holiness. We're all sinners. We're born that way. And we live lives full of sin. Not one of us is without sin. We're all in need of a Savior We're all headed to hell because of sin. But the good news here this morning, the great news, is that God loved the world so much, He sent His only Son, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, and He died on the cross for you. And He paid for your sins on the cross. Three days later, He historically resurrected from the grave so that if you repent from your life of sin, meaning you turn You break from your own selfish way of living and you turn and put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord God and Savior. The Bible promises that you will have eternal life and that for the rest of your life on earth, God promises to walk with you as he walked with David. That's the gospel. As I close today, I want to go back to George Washington. In our chapel's lobby hangs a famous picture, painting of General Washington praying at Valley Forge. Some of you have seen it. It's right there in the lobby. Of all men, Washington himself acutely knew that God had helped the colonists win the War of Independence. 
He knew his own men well. It was only through God they had won. He was aware of that. And regardless of what revisionist historians attempt to tell you, we would not be sitting here today as citizens of these United States without the Lord's assistance. Remember that. Remember that David only beats Goliath because of God's mighty and gracious hand. At the outset of the war, no one would have placed their bets against the mighty British Empire. Not the French. Not Spain. No one was with America. At the end of the war, most of the leaders of this nation realized just how much God had helped these 13 colonies. Now, as a collective body of 50 United States, let us never forget the very first Thanksgiving, which came on November 26, 1789. In the first year of the Constitutional Republic, both houses of Congress recommended to George Washington that he set apart a day for thanksgiving and prayer. President Washington agreed and proclaimed the fourth Thursday of every November to be set apart for the expression of, quote, sincere and humble thanks to God for his kind care and protection of the people of this country, end quote. And then he goes on to express his gratitude, and he says, quote, for, for the favorable interpositions of God's providence, which we experienced in the course and conclusion of the late war, end quote. Which war was he referring to? The American Revolution. Washington knew that without God, they would have never won the war. But he also knew, just as David knew, that with the Lord, all things are possible. And no matter how dark the days must have been during that long stretch of eight years, General Washington was able to see through faith that the Lord would carry them through. And we sit here today as fruit of that vision, as the United States of America. David had beaten Goliath, but it is through the Lord's mighty hand, not by our strength. I want all of us to recognize that because for all, many of us, that's very good news. We feel weak. We feel as if Goliath is going to win. I want to encourage you this morning. Have faith in the Lord because through him, you are a conqueror. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, God, this morning for your word. What a word from the story of David and Goliath.